0: Wayne, how's it going? Ed, I'm bereft. I'm inconsolable. Bereft. Yeah, I am inconsolable. I don't know what to do with myself because it's a massive disaster that United have dropped points. No, not talking to you. Yes. Talking to you is fine. (laughs) But that's that's the pick-me-up. But he's he's dropping points, Ed. It's so unfamiliar. Ten-hog out. Ten-hog out for, for... to kick off, uh, already out. out. Get rid of. I mean, Casemiro. Get rid. Of, what a ridiculous decision to do that tackle. Get him out. Fernandez getting us another bad result. Sack yeah, them
1: all. Yeah, just get rid of him. I'm sick of it. I'm sick
0: of it. He's got to go.
1: I think we should sack them all and go by 57 players like Chelsea, and it'll all be sorted. No problem. Yeah,
0: and I, so. I, yeah, I, I'm not. I know we'll be talking about it later on, but let's get Todd in. He knows how to run a football club. He knows what he's doing. Get him in. Get all these players lonesome out because I've had enough. It's too much. It's too much to deal with. Yeah. Get get Brunei to Scunthorpe. That'll uh that'll teach him, won't it?
1: Yeah. Anyway, yes. The the overreaction has been significant, <laughs> I think, to United's first draw in ten games. But although like there was there was a lot to be disappointed with. I mean of course. The teams play badly and United yeah. played badly. Yeah. Just good first half, very poor second half. Really, the intensity only happened after Palace scored. So we had what three minutes of intensity in the second half, and it just looked like it was coming the the equalizer. <laughs> and you get that <laughs> sense that somehow United had just—I mean, I it like looked like it was coming. Oh, I wasn't exactly. There's a lot to be said for three minutes one into the top corner from thirty thirty yards out, but but still, yeah, the, the, yeah. United dropped off. I don't know what it was. Whether it was a bit of complacency because. Because it felt pretty easy in that first half, yeah, or whether it was tiredness, because it definitely felt like that some of that crept in,
0: yeah. But yeah, yeah, that game happens. Yeah, it does. It definitely does, and yeah, it, I don't even think it, I don't think it was a good first half either. To be fair, well, I, I remember being surprised by the quality of the goal, the incision in which he used. It seemed very out of place for the first half and it was a little bit disconcerting to be honest that they they, they put a move with that kind of clarity together right at the end and I felt that like that added to the second half lackadaisical performance because it was so slow and labored and and I felt it was that way in the first half and I don't know what it was because I don't think Palace were particularly good in the first half they, they were definitely a lot better in the second and probably sure deserving well I mean definitely deserving of the point regardless of how much United we can say that we controlled the pace of it as slow as it was and I do feel there was one eye on Sunday I feel like the talk of the the title race has got to the players head I think that that was there and it was kind of like a a stick or twist kind of thing we've got to win this we're looking at Arsenal and I think. That's the kind of thing that sometimes happens to a team who are head in their expected progress. That you see these kind of silly mistakes, and it will be a lesson, even right. even from Casemiro. And, and i not obviously we can talk about the merits of that booking and where how he derived. Obviously, it's a lot of it was in Fernandez misplacing the pass. So, and, and then you can say whether or not Casemiro could have done better. But regardless of that, the overall team performance, I don't think we can argue about that i mean the fact is we won nine on the bounce before before to before last night's game and we drew that game so nine wins in a draw isn't that bad it seems a little bit more catastrophic because it feels like oh we were right on the edge of the title race and we're not out of it yeah. we've only played half a league season and if we win on sunday then we're three points behind arsenal is it three or six yeah 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 but we're still we're not be, far away th- yeah so
1: no look that that's all true. It feels catastrophic because of the kind of summary of everything, and I think we just need to step back and take some perspective and it helps that we're recording this a day a day after the event yes yeah. because we can take a little bit of perspective it's not a disaster. There is another half a season to go. We do go to Arsenal on Sunday course defeat there would would like stop all talk of of the title, I think and focus minds on the top four, which was the goal before the start yeah. of the season. So you're right that we are a little ahead of ahead of expectations because of this great run that the the team has been on. And and sure, yeah. It's funny. Lackadaisical is one of those words that's only used in football. Can you <laughs> yeah. imagine it in yeah. the office? Oh, that lad over there—he's had a bad performance this meeting. Lack, lackadaisical yeah. performance. He found that one, yeah. No, it's like, <laughs> it, but it was that. Yeah. And and maybe maybe talk of the title had got to the players. I'm sure Ten Hag's been playing that down. They they do focus on what's to come, and may, maybe less the talk of the title and more focus. The intensity of the city game and the intensity of the game to come, and you can yeah. kind of feel, even under Fergie, this happens sometimes—the the surprise result between two big games, and there are a lot of big games to come as well. So, yes, of course, people are thinking about that, and there were some silly individual mistakes yeah. in the game that 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 you kind of exposed. If the the few times that Casemiro is out of position. The, the soft underbellies sort of exposed, isn't it? And that's where Palace were able to create chances. And even and and the booking came from the fact. Well, yeah, Fernandez shirked to tackle, which is unlike him. Really, not quite yeah. sure why he did that. Uh, and then Casemiro made the decision to to dive in and get the ball, and he probably didn't need to. It wasn't central; Verand's covering the chances of beating the defender and Dave from there. Low single digits. Yeah. So he didn't play the percentages, and and just on the day, little bit intensity loss tiredness, lack of focus, yeah. bit of complacency, and and these things do do happen. Yeah, not a disaster. We can we can put it into perspective. And I thought Ten Hag was good afterwards. In in which you know he just brushed off all talk of of the referee, and and there was a very poor refereeing decision yeah. twice, I think actually, yeah. and. We get to those. And and he said, Look, we've got to focus on us. We we didn't perform well enough to win this game, paraphrasing what he said. Yeah. But I think that's perfectly right. It's it's about you and your performance first and the referee and everything else and the noise second and United didn't quite get the
0: balance right. No. No, you're right. There was some disappointing performances. Rashford again he was quite cold. We you know we can go hot and cold. I don't think Vegos had a great debut. Well, I mean that's an understatement, I guess. I mean
1: yeah, no. I know. I think we from Begos we got what we've got to expect from him. Really, he's never going to run at a player with the ball. He's never going to run into space. It's just not what he does. Yeah, uh, you play it into his feet, or you find you find a cross. I mean, I think it really only hit him with one cross, which was Luke Shaw's delivery. It was great delivery, by the way. He he went to a take horse to the ball, got to him behind him, which I think he'll be disappointed because that's the kind of chance he does put away. He's he is good technically, sound. For a big lad, yeah, and so you can play the ball into him, but that does slow United up, yeah. You know, especially when you're a front three of Rashford who wants the ball into space, but it was trying to do too much, and and then Anthony he just slows everything down. He, he reminds me. This might be an unfair comparison. It reminds me of Wolf Saha that that first year we had him where he just took too much time on the ball all of the time. Yeah. And Anthony does that. He does the step over, rolls his foot over the ball when you're trying to break quickly, and you're like, ah, he's absolutely infuriating. I think. Along with the schoolboy levels of the last third intelligence, which are just. uh, I think.
0: A lot of progress. I, I think with Anthony, he's not as quick as people thought he was, or the. Maybe. He thinks that he is. There were a couple of times, and I've noticed it more frequently with him, but there was one, I think the one that you're referring to in particular, there was a break and he, and he seemed like he had a really good sort of, you would expect a, a left-footed player on the right to sort of cut across in front of his marker if he's got the spit, uh, the pace to be able to do that. And you would expect a player in that position to have the pace to get in front of the fullback, to use your body to be able to get a shot off. And, and he was still 50 yards away from goal. But he didn't even advance the play. He cut back towards the halfway line, and it was such. It was a. It completely cut the pace out of the counter attack at that that moment. And there were. That's by far um, not the only moment that we've seen that from him. And it, it, yeah, he it does labour the play somewhat. And you, the optimist in me, when I see that happening in real time, I try and think, oh, okay you are watching a player who's trying to bring other players into play and continue the pattern of the build-up, but it, it it is slowing the play down and it, a winger is supposed to direct the counter-attack and the United are supposed to have fast counter-attacks and he didn't do that and yeah, it wasn't great from him, I, th- I think he started alright, but then he, he dropped off quite well, quite alarmingly I should say and I don't know, from the other performances I, I know we'll get to the refereeing decisions you said, I thought Casemiro was lucky not to get sent off. I didn't think Bruno was great again. I did. I think Harrison erickson has been a bit quiet of late. They were the, the the best moment was obviously the connection for the goal, but then we were reliant on De Gea making a couple of good saves before we actually conceded. And then gets to injury time and they score a goal like that. And you said there three minutes of intensity, which is. Pleasurable for a lot of people, but didn't do anything for United yesterday. And it did honestly did see like it it did seem like it was that three minutes that United turned up to play and you thought, Oh, they're gonna score a goal yet. Not not though they could score a goal, I should say. Not that you felt that they were going to score a goal, but they had the intensity. And that what is what Tenog was saying, wasn't it? It About that second goal. United score a first goal and they're not hungry enough to score that second goal yet. Or perhaps yeah. maybe not hunger's not the right word maybe they're just not good enough to get that second goal and kill a game off just yet just barely made any moves i mean you yeah, got a quite a lot of shots off yesterday i
1: think it was 15 which is not bad but like very very little of real yeah. danger and just moved the ball a little more quickly and, and they're taking this palace side apart clearly it's not it's not even a palace side that's playing that well they've dropped a level yeah. from last season yeah. i agree and and that's the, that's a disappointment. That's why this sort of feels like a catastrophe because not only have we lost those two points, which feel very important, and Casemiro is booked and he's out of the next game, which may mean, well, I mean, could well mean the difference between points or no points against a, a good Arsenal side that's, that's playing very well and such a key player, Casemiro. And, and, and so if you focus on those things, like, oh, that could be a five-point swing in the space of two games and of course that 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 could mean everything at the end of the season yeah we don't know yet but these things do happen in a season that United have picked up points not playing well actually most of the time playing well but some and that happens too on the on the referee decisions I mean the two crucial ones I think that went against United obviously the penalty on penalty decision on McTominay I mean I don't I, I don't know where there could be any, any debate <laughs> which no. one, he's gone away from the play, got got the ball first and he's taking him out. And um, it's one thing the referee missing it in real time from behind might look like Rich has got a toe on the ball. But VAR, not directing him even to have a second look, really odd, yeah. really, really very odd. And I can't help, I'm not normally conspiracy-minded and paranoid about these things, but I can't help think but that the lo- noise of the... Last week, plus the referee's performance up at Newcastle, where he got a lot of criticism yeah. for sending stuff to the VAR, hasn't played on his mind there. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, how could he not? And, and anyway, I, the second, the second, the second one is the foul that Luke Shaw apparently made on Elise for the free kick that Elise then stuck in the top corner. I mean, I've watched that fifty times since. I can't see where the contact is. No. I think mean, he's just gone down. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I I don't think it's a conspiracy to say that I've talked. I think I've talked about this before on the pod. I've talked to a couple of former top flight referees, two of the highest profile referees of the last thirty years, and they both went on record as saying that it does play a part that kind of psychological pattern of decisions are being made like that, and not in terms of them being consciously aware of it at the time, but they've admitted that it could have subconsciously played a part and bear in mind the questions i were asking were more weighted than the sort of did did fergie get to you that kind of thing and they were it probably went the other way because you're so conscious of everyone saying that that you are right. analyzing it a little bit differently so yeah, I don't think... But I'm not saying it's a conspiracy against Manchester United. I don't mean that. What I mean is it's a psychological impact, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that if you look at that, yeah. I think there's a definite truism that he played a part, both in, in the Newcastle and the weekend kind of thing. I, I look at that the penalty incident, Ed. The first time I looked at it, I said, oh, that's not a penalty. And the reason why I thought that is because I thought Tomney had gone looking for it, where, where the way that he kind of looks like is initiating contact... And then I was too busy looking at that to think, did the defender get a touch or not? You know, on the ball. And then you look at it in the second, on the second viewing, and it's obvious that it's a penalty because he's put his body across, he's he's made contact, he's fouled the player. It's a penalty. I don't understand. And this isn't this is talking about the the actual incident. So take the the shirts off them and put Ronaldo's kits on, public kits on. Right, put them on these these players. That's apparently every day of the week. So the only sure, the yeah. only kind of it, the only kind of explanation that I can offer is that they all this talk about the decisions is is had to have adds, got to the ref. It, it must have done yeah. because it's it's ridiculous.
1: I'm sure. I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. I'm, I'm sure it's in the ref's mind. I'm sure that he didn't want four days of. You know, multi-channel analysis of
0: his performance. Well, he hasn't got it.
1: Key, keys and Gray, Keys and Gray going yeah. at him. Sky Sports badgering an ex-ref to demand that he goes. Yes, that was an injustice. People demanding that the offside rule be rewritten yeah. or the penalty rule be re- written in this case. So I, I have no doubt that that played a part in it. I mean, I, I have seen people accuse McTominay of looking for it, and you could say that because he's moved away from the player into a, a sort of position that's less dangerous for for him. But he hadn't dragged his foot behind in order to catch the player. The player no, stuck yeah. his yeah, leg exactly. in the way. Right? He initiated the move, Richards. It's just it's just a it's just a foul. Yeah. And that that is crucial because as at one 0 let's assume United well, seventy six percent of the time United are gonna score from that position from the penalty. Yeah. Let's assume it's two 0 and the game's definitely dead. And and not that you I'm claiming United deserved it because it wasn't a good performance. But that's just game state. I think that we would have controlled it from there. Yeah. As it felt like even though we weren't playing well, we pretty much controlled the game. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's done. Didn't get it. I I am worried that there are longer term implications. I mean United were getting a lot of penalties until this bandwagon started mm. Keys and Grey and Sky Sports and other commentators saying United get into, and then Klopp got involved and they changed the bar for VAR very shortly after that yeah. and United didn't get any penalties anymore. Yeah. That, um, so I'm worried the focus on United and the hysteria that surrounds the club does does have an impact. And, and if there's a marginal call at the Emirates on Sunday, I'm not expecting it to go in United's favour.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting... That is... Yeah. Yeah. I... Again, I guess it's that kind of balancing act of are you going down the conspiracy route kind of thing. But I do agree with what you're saying in terms of like this this kind of thing where where they start the bandwagon in the media starts like saying certain things. Now the point is that VAR is meant to be emotionless, right? It takes every amount of footballing idiocy and tribalism away from it. That's what it's then there to be it's meant to be black and white it's meant to be application of the law regardless of bias and it is not that it isn't that unfortunately and the problem i always had a problem with VAR at the start or, or things that were interfering taking it away from the referee on the field because if you can't make it perfect and inarguable then i don't think that saying it's an improvement is enough do you know what I mean? Because if you've still got yeah, if you've still, I, I agree. somewhere yeah. along the line, somewhere along the chain, if you've still got someone's bias coming in at some some point or other, then it either complicates the matter. If you've got someone in VAR having an argument with someone else because they're disagreeing with the decision based on whatever reason, which isn't to do with the law, which is to do with some preconception to do with how many penalties some team has had in the in the past, then you are just complicating unnecessarily a competition so
1: well i do think that so so we've had let's take these two things over the last couple of days right one the offside against city or not offside in the case in that case that's actually there's first the binary thing is he ahead of the play or not on which phase right those are all binary and then there's the subjective piece that said what is the intent and what is the impact on other players Right and and that piece was subjective, and I think there it needs to go back to the referee to have a look at that, and he can make that subjective call. Right, and that, and and there the technology is just aiding the referee, and they don't do that at the moment. It is with the VAR to, to try and interpret that that impact. Right, and and a bunch of people on the internet. Wrongly, in my opinion, making interpretations saying, oh, well, it's obvious he had some kind of telepathic mental impact on Edison. I mean, it's just bollocks. I mean, it's like actually 75% of law 11 is is very, very binary. And it's just that thing around impact on another. So there's that that one, right? And I think it's just best if there's subjective stuff that goes back to the ref and the referee has the final is the final arbiter, not some dude in Hounslow in a truck. On the binary stuff, I think VAR's quite good, or the technology we use. So was it offside or not? Now, can they get quicker? Yes, they can. They did in the World Cup, they're using the semi-automated thing, and it was mostly better. Can the communication with fans be better absolutely could be i don't know why they're making it so opaque and on goal line technology works perfectly well right so stuff that can technology can enhance the yes no binary stuff i think helps it should be faster it's a real shame it takes away the excitement in the moment and then the subjective stuff if it's going to help the referee and on balance, it's better that the referee gets the decision right than the game carries on and flows. And I, we're not always on the right line of that balance, I don't think. Right side of that balance. Uh, then, then I think it should be sent back to the referee. And and the foul on McTominay should be sent back to the referee. And I just find it shocking that you have a guy in Hounslow who's decided that there's no case to answer there. And there's no chance there's a mistake. And the bar is artificially set high. And that's what I was saying about how they changed the... The way that they they set the bar for VAR to intervene. Yeah. Why wouldn't you intervene?
0: I mean, like, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think if you've got that incident in any other game, the, the Rashford incident in any other game at the weekend, let's say Newcastle against Brighton, right? Newcastle play Brighton and Isaac goes through, he's offside or whatever, and, and scores because Bruno. Is in in the Rashford position, and then Newcastle play Palace on Wednesday night, and they're in that position. I, they get that penalty nine times, ten times out of ten, they still get that penalty. The reason why we didn't get the penalty is because for four days, all that anyone's been talking about is an interpretation of a law that benefited Manchester United. Yes, it was a grey area. Yes, I'd be annoyed if it was given against us because that's the part of the conversational fun of football. That's why we're having these these podcasts but still just because they made noise for four days doesn't mean it's right to sort of influence referee decisions and they don't the, the thing is all right we're having again we're part of it and we're having that conversation but they don't recognize they just go ah, two wrongs made a right at the end of the day because it united where they don't they don't seem to notice their own part in the process like we we influenced that and we shouldn't have influenced it and they did and all right I, I happen to think United actually got away with one yesterday because I think Casemiro should have been sent off. So, And by the way, the overarching theme of this is United did not deserve to win the game and they probably got what they deserved out of it. So nobody's making that kind of argument. We're arguing over the merit of making a decision that they shouldn't have been made, really.
1: Yeah, well, no, no, true. Look again, United didn't deserve to win yesterday because they played badly, and that's the most important thing. And that's what that's what Ten Hag said after the game. So, no arguments there. We're we're discussing the details. I'm not sure. I mean, it's one of those marginal ones. I'm not sure that Casemiro is so wildly out of control or it was dangerous that it merited a red. But people could argue that. I've I, I have seen other people argue that maybe so. It would feel a bit on the soft side for me, but. There you go. He didn't. He's just going to miss the one match, and he won't miss another one until he gets another five bookings. Mm, yeah, because it's yeah one game too early as well. Because mm. after the halfway point, it shifts to ten bookings to get a, a card. So that's part of the injustice as well. He'll he'll miss a game when we've had to play an extra round of games. Arsenal didn't get to play this. Didn't have to play this midweek. United will be more knackered. So there feels like an. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not an injustice. It's just how how the how the fixtures lie but two quirks of the fixture list that uh, mean that united get less rest and also that extra game yeah. is the one before the second half of the season that means the booking comes into play one more game and he wouldn't have got a suspension for that fifth yellow card that's the
0: queen the go. queen that's, has got a lot to that's, answer that's for. them's
1: the brakes yeah she has fuck's <laughs> <Fox> sake <laughs> get her in front of the sky cameras and demand an answer
0: yeah. Oh god. Well, yeah. You're probably right. You know what? I, I I think he's just watching it in real time. I thought, ooh, he could get sent off there. Do you know? And
1: uh, he didn't quite do an Eric Baye, did he? <laughs> I mean, if you've seen that, wow. I was like, he got seven seven match ban. Eric Baye did for that. I mean, yeah, he did try and take the guy's head off. <laughs> yeah. So. I
0: would think that's a little bit lenient. He'll probably be back in Manchester <laughs> before he plays for them again. So yeah, mm.
1: yeah. Classic Eric. Oh, yeah, you forget he's still a United player. Jeez. That's one to sell. Anyway, you, any other
0: thoughts on Palace? Go, shall we move on to something? Did we praise the free kick? It was a great free kick. I know Dave's not great yeah, at them, yeah. but it was a great free kick. and He should have celebrated. Yeah,
1: I'm not sure Dave's... Quite in the right position, but it's—I mean—it's a stunning strike, isn't it? The celebrations a bit interesting, yeah. isn't it? He barely celebrated. Is he a United fan secretly? What, what was going on there?
0: Or I mean, a Spurs fan? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very odd. He's a very nice player, at least, say. I think him and Eze are on for bigger things in football. I mean, just just beautiful movers, both of them, and, and really talented. Yeah. So. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Eze at United. I do think he's got a lot of lot of talent. Anyway, yeah. I guess that's Palace. Ten Hag out. Ten Hag out. Absolutely disgraceful. I mean, he, he it was him who chose Casemiro. <laughs> Casemiro got himself booked. We're going to lose at Arsenal. Yeah. The, the wheels are coming off. Oh, no. And that's it. Get Ralph
0: back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You got me. You you hit my funny bone there, Ed. Uh, a, sentence, a sentence I never thought I would hear ever uttered by a Manchester United supporter ever again. But I, and I thought... I,
1: I'd, I'd rather have Wreck-It Ralph back. Look, than...
0: <laughs> I, I spent an intro and two, 20 seconds at the end of a wrap-up saying what I thought would be the most ludicrous thing that you would hear on this podcast. And then within seconds, you bettered it. Well done. That's Well done
1: there has been other stuff happening this week including quite a lot of news on the takeover front yeah with jim ratcliffe in the os his company well he, he co-owns the company with a couple of founders declaring an interest in united it's interesting because I mean, most most of the takeover stuff with Chelsea and indeed with United has sort of been behind closed doors. People are leaking stuff, but there haven't been public announcements and, and Ratcliffe has been very public, as he was with his very, very, very late bid for Chelsea. This time round, I, I do wonder the tactics here. It's interesting. I wonder whether it's to try and corral some other investors to get on board to show he's serious. But obviously it's garnered a lot of interest because, hey, it's Manchester United, it's a takeover. He's a United fan. He's getting on in years. It seems like whatever you think of his politics and his business practices, yeah, probably not down my street, that he would be a, probably a good owner of United or at least he has the club's interests at heart. So what was your take on what happened here?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously the rumours has been there from the summer and yep. everyone felt he was a savior, and then I think the the common fan who didn't know a lot about him has probably conducted a little bit more research, done their own due diligence as much as a f- common football fan does. At yep. least assimilated a little bit more information about him and, and realized that you know that not every billionaire is well. You can't find any squeaky but squeaky clean billionaires. Do not it's exist. Hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult to find them, and that he's not in the business of owning Manchester United as a philanthropist. So, or he's just not there to be a benevolent, he's not going to be a shake throwing money at it. And and whether or not he's in a position to be able to do that, like you said, whether he has to rope in other investors and all that sort of stuff. So it's been interesting to go along that journey. I was actually told by someone fairly who, who wouldn't, I was told by someone who should know some information for one reason or another, that Ratcliffe had gone called on the idea of um, of making a bid, and this was probably November time, so well after the glazers had sort of they sort of made those initial in, the initial noises that they made in August in late August, but then since then they've obviously put forward this more formal statement that they are looking to effectively sell the club, and I think. It it, the thing that's interesting to me is that he's come out first. You mentioned there that he went in late with the Chelsea bid, but he's come out first here. So that at least shows to me that he is serious, because you wouldn't make you would expect if there were three or four people making these offers and they were all making their names known that it might get lost in that. So to come out first and to sort of yeah, he might be trying to smoke out other investors, but at least he's come out with a, a serious statement. He was the first name or the biggest name linked with. The biggest individual name linked with a takeover in the summer, and now he's come out and put his cards on the table and said, "Yes, I am interested in in a takeover of United. We are looking at, we are exploring that possibility." So, I think from my perspective as a fan, in the sphere of knowing that we do not have squeaky squeaky clean billionaires knowing that there will be rights and wrongs to pick from all of the owners. I think Ratcliffe's as sound a choice as any that are on the table from what has been suggested. But my own interest is that the club, regardless of how much money's pumped in, I want to see the club self-sufficient, and it can be that, and it can compete if it is that. Now, the other things about investment in the stadium, investment in infrastructure, yes, I, do, I would like to see that, and that it'd be very nice if someone came in and gave Old Trafford. Because I'd ideally like to keep Old Trafford. Someone came in and pre- like poured money into make that a great um, a facility again. Poured money into the playing staff, cleared all the debts, cleared all the playing transfer debts, and then started a fresh. Great, but as long as as long as we're in a position where we're self sufficient, the other things like that. I know that sounds like I don't want the best for the club. I do want the best for the club, but I just think as long as it's self sufficient, as long as that the big the big anchor of the big debt is relieved, then I will feel comfortable that the club. I'll, I'll feel more comfortable than I do now, and I feel like that's that's yeah. the least that I could expect from anyone who takes over the club. And as long as they, and as long I should also also mention the other caveat is that I really sincerely hope that nothing is done to alter the infrastructure in terms of the playing staff and everything that's around the, the actual football operation at the moment, I think is really sound. And I don't want I, I joked earlier about Todd in. I don't want a Todd doing the kind of things that they've done. So those that's no, where I stand on that's it. That's
1: right. United have definitely moved in the right direction on the, the, the football infrastructure as you say. The 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 structure around the club. Whether they're the right personnel or not? I mean, that's that's up. That would be up to a new owner to decide whether he's got the best in class. Is Murata? That no idea. But well, that, that's fine as long as the the structure is there. Then. Players come and go, staff come and go, and United would be self-sufficient on the financial side of things. I mean, I think United ranked fourth in the Deloitte Money League this year. It's often called the Rich List, but it's revenue overtaken by City. You can you can question whether all of that is real. <laughs> I don't think you should question whether yeah. all of that is real, given we have uh, very publicly seen what they did in the early days of of City to to let's say uh, burnish their. Commercial operations and their commercial operations are ridiculously large for 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 the nature of the club. Liverpool have overtaken United. That that feels more realistic to me because they are a very big club with a huge global fan base. They do command sponsorship contracts in the same kind of region as United. They just they were slower at getting. And United are a couple hundred million pounds ahead of Arsenal in terms of revenue, which which again is real because of the size of United versus versus Arsenal. And all that plays into what you're saying, that United are perfectly able to be self-sufficient with, with owners who will don't take money out, don't have to pay dividends, as I expect a, a new ownership group to be, and, and aren't paying interest on a debt that never decreases. The stadium is a different question. It is a really difficult one for anyone to answer because the new financial sustainability rules don't exclude capital expenditures in the way that they do now. Right, so any, anything that United do on the stadium front, unless it's a donation, right? Jim pulls a billion pounds out of his back pocket to renovate Old Trafford and says, "Hey, I'm just giving the gifting this," yeah. or or it's sold to the owner, as has happened with a lot of Championship clubs, which is a big red flag. Normally, maybe, in order to do that,
0: to get it off the books, maybe Manchester City Council can do as a, a solid.
1: yeah that's right yeah they can they can do it for us yeah that that would be helpful (laughs) only and only fair (laughs) exactly so 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 it's a very is a difficult one what i would suspect will happen and and united fans might not like this is that that new ownership comes in they pay whatever they pay they clear the club of debt and then they take out a bond for a billion pounds for renovations or 1.5 1.5 to 2 They say two because it would be a bigger stadium than say tottenham yep. to build a new stadium and they'll take out a very long-term bond to do that and economically that will work out and it'll work out better with a new stadium than a renovation and again united fans won't like that either because that would be a brand new stadium united are lucky in that they have the space they could build it on the car park mm. next door to the the freight depot and and so there has been some foresight there I would say, in getting all that land. And in fact, it would be a clearer space. Again, I don't think any of us actually want Old Trafford to be demolished and a brand new stadium to be built. There's a 100 odd years of history at Old Trafford. But the economics, I suspect, and getting ahead of myself here, point to a new stadium because you can build the kind of facilities that allow you to generate new money, whereas renovating Old Trafford won't do that in the same way. But we'll see. That's down the line. On on Ratcliffe, I mean, he could, if he liquidated all his assets, afford to buy United with cash. He's not going to do that. He's built a company. He's not about to sell all his interest in Ineos in order to, in order to buy United. It will be a joint bid with others, some of his cash and some private equity. Yeah. And there, were, there was even talk this week of the private equity group that has lent money to both Real Madrid and Barcelona, hundreds of millions of euros. I mean, they are, they are long-term mortgages against TV revenue and commercial revenue in Barcelona. Okay. There's, there's a question about they getting involved. That would be equity, not debt. If they got involved, they would own a piece of United. And I think all these things, again, point to a full takeover, not Some part time investor. I know QSI, that's the Qatari sovereign wealth fund, sports related sovereign wealth fund that owns PSG, is looking around the Premier League, taking a minority stake. The problem is the kind of minority stake that would pump a couple hundred million in wouldn't change the fundamental economics of United. And the Glazers can just do that through the market anyway. I mean United are publicly listed and just sell off shares, which they have been doing. And all that money goes to the Glazers and not the club. It doesn't solve the, the fundamental problem, yeah. the reason why they're having to sell. And I really do mean that, having to sell. So anyway, it's it's kinda of interesting development. I I'm sure I mean, he's definitely not perfect. He's a petrochemical company with all the environmental impact of, of that company in YOS. He's a Brexiter, which I mean a very significant proportion of people in Manchester did not vote for Brexit. I mean, there's plenty of people who did. So take of that what you will. I don't think that actually, not my politics, but it doesn't exclude him in my mind from being a Manchester United owner. Yeah. He's He lives outside of England for tax and other reasons. Might not be perfect, but then again, show me a billionaire who's perfect. I mean, there should be a higher bar, I think, for a United owner. But unfortunately, I don't think fans are going to whip round five to six billion pounds and <laughs> buy it out. No. Be nice if we had the money. Yeah. If those one point one billion fans that Richard Arnold claims exist all whipped out a fiver, then we can we can own it, folks. Yes. It, so I'll put in the first fiver, and
0: I'll put in six pound just so I can be I can be cho- chairman. And then Ed can be like vice chairman. There we go. So oh, I put in a marginal.
1: Can have we got a bit? I can put seven uh, see. in. I can probably stretch it. <laughs> Here we
0: go. This is how the takeover starts, folks. Yeah. You...
1: Start at five quid. And we'll, be at, we'll be at seven billion pounds by the end.
0: Assistant to the chairman. There we go. That's what we can do. Yeah. Good. Eight pound. Nine <laughs> and a packet of crisps.
1: <laughs> I'll sell a kidney before the day's out.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, that's that's the financial stuff. I, th- I suspect we've got a little way to go on that one. I know Chelsea sold very quickly, but that's not normally how multi-billion pound transactions are conducted. That was extreme in terms of its speed for reasons. And whereas with United, it's not. They're looking at the highest bid. No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQATP. Pod where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the premier league and europe we have a game coming yeah. up against arsenal on sunday it's quite a big one how do you see this one going i guess the big question is how is ten Hag going to adjust for the the loss of
0: casemiro yeah he's he's just- It's a big question on the squad, this, because... Naturally, it's a big question on the squad, because you would expect that, let's say Fred or Scott McTominay, this is a game where they can really make a statement about their United career if they put in a good performance, a strong performance, because let's be frank, nobody really expects it from them, given the heartbreak in reaction to Casemiro's suspension. So everybody is expecting low things and that means that those players, they don't have a free hit. Of course they don't because they'll get criticism if, if we lose, but they've got a really good opportunity to, especially Fred, because you would imagine that he's going to be one, he might not even be in place of Casemiro. He might be in any way in place of That it might change the entire midfield to accommodate the task. And I, I do suspect that he might do something like that, but to sort of take the thing. Out I think of it's very likely. In terms of the game overall, I mean, Arsenal haven't been playing brilliantly lately. They've sort of, I say, I say that. I'll probably put on a great show on, on Sunday, but I don't think when I've seen them, they've played brilliantly lately as, as well as they have done to to get the the lead in which they've got, which they thoroughly deserve, by the way. And, yeah. and it does bring into. Um, it brings into light that the point that we were making earlier. United are in front of their expectations for this season. Arsenal are wildly in front of their expectations for this season because they were exactly the same yeah. as us at the start. They were going for Champions League places. Maybe you might look at the fact that... I don't know. I haven't had a quick look at their... Fixture list, even but maybe they might have had an easier run of fixtures than what we've had at this point. They had a
1: soft start, yeah. So, they've 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 obviously played everyone.
0: Yeah, it's half
1: the season, right? So they basically played everyone. But yeah, they they are well ahead of their underlying data. That's all I'd say. To get really nerdy, you might expect a regression to the mean. They've scored way more goals than their expected goals total. They've let in a little fewer than their expected goals against. Yeah. And, and they've got quite a few more points than expected. So, I, I, and and they've been, I mean, although they've had Gabriel Jesus out for a small squad, they've not had too many injuries. Yeah. They are very lucky in that they basically don't have any. They don't, they're not in Europa League. I don't think they're not, they're not, are they? So they don't have all those fixtures to come and well, we'll see what happens in the FA Cup, but they're, they're not burdened with fixtures in the same way that some of the rivals are. And so that's good for them too. Yeah.
0: And a lot of people are asking this question, Arsenal or City. Again, it's it's one of your similar generation to me, Ed. I I think it's quite unpalatable to want Arsenal to to bring myself to say I want Arsenal to win anything to
1: Not not quite as bad as Liverpool, but it's
0: pretty unpalatable. I do want to see a little bite, I want to see a little fight, I want to see the players react to to what I mean the Tenog principle is going to be it doesn't really matter that it's Arsenal, it's about yourself. You let yourself down on Wednesday yeah. so go out there and put on a performance, which is what he's done throughout his reign at United. And that that's the thing that gives me more confidence going into Sunday, regardless of the fact that Casemiro's missing, the fact that he will put out that the first thing he said after the final whistle when he was asked about it was, Well, oh, we didn't have Casemiro when we played them in September and we won, which is a fair point, but but we all know the difference that Casemiro's made to us since then. So
1: yeah, they were missing players yeah. that day as well. I I suspect that he'll make he won't do a like for like. I mean, the last time Fred played alongside Eriksson in a two in midfield was when United shipped four goals at Brentford. Good, that's so good. Not, <laughs> yeah, not not great. Yeah, <laughs> let's bring the spirits up here. Yeah. I do think that's a bit soft. As much as I like Fred's energy, I don't think he's very disciplined. Not in the same way that Casemiro is. They make a nice combo, but it's not like for like. And, and I wonder whether he might bring Fred and McTominay in and, and Bruno goes wide and Ericsson plays through the centre. Yeah. Just a bit more solidity in the midfield and Anthony drops to the bench. I, I'd actually it's got to the point I'd be quite surprised if he didn't do that. Yeah, Just that extra security. Of course, it's the balance between you want to defend by attacking as well. You want to dominate the ball. And Fred and McTominay in there never dominate the ball like neither of them is careful with their distribution uh, and that causes a problem uh, and 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 z- McTominay in particular does not get into the right kind of positions to receive the ball. And, and I think I've accused him of hiding in the past, but he just doesn't... He hasn't got that kind of... He hasn't got that skull thing of always being able to find a position to receive the ball. Or oh, Bruno has this yeah. too. Um, and yeah,
0: To the an extent.
1: Well, Ericsson, yeah. Ericsson is not only comfortable on the ball and uses it brilliantly, but knows where to get it. McTominay doesn't do that, but he's not, he's not a pure number six either. And I, I think between them... Fred and McTominay don't cover each other's flaws; they often magnify them, and and that's it's not good. Throw Ericsson in there, and maybe the balance is a bit better. It's it's a square peg round hole problem for Ten Hag to solve. Yeah. I think ahead of ahead of the game, and he's going to want to find a balance between dominating and defending, and it's a really difficult one with with Fred and McTominay. I think the that's why Casemiro being out feels such a disaster.
0: There's alternatives. I mean shaw has been playing so well at centre-back that he might want to play martinez in a holding midfield role seen him play there i, I see people say yeah it. I, i'm just offering um, I'm, a... I'm offering so sort of, yeah, oh, yeah. maybe even a five-man defense he might you know do it that way and I haven't seen that at all every end of Ten well, he, he, he mean... has he switched to them for when we've seen out games so he did, he it, has he did done, it against yeah. city for a few yeah. minutes and, and i think he's done it in yeah. a couple with a bigger game like maybe liverpool at home he did that as well so he's done it for, he's done yeah. it for a couple of them i'm not saying that it's something that i expect him to see i expect to see but then against then again against city he started short center back and he left martinez on the bench and he put Fred in midfield and they, they were things we didn't expect to see so he could and we roll i think beforehand before we saw the team sheet I, i'm pretty sure that all of us were preaching the virtue of consistency and momentum we weren't saying make any big changes like that and he did so maybe he's got now he's more familiar with the team that he could make a, he could spring a surprise and, and yeah i mean i'm not i'm i know it sounded right at the start i was being fatalistic i'm not i'm not completely lost on i don't even think i'm completely lost on the idea of us winning on sunday i think we've got a fair chance and i'm i'm like we've said at various points this season when there's been a challenge for ten rather than feeling downbeat about, oh, look at the options that he's got, I've been curious to see what he's going to do. And I'm still in that boat, and maybe I'm feeling more comfortable being in that boat because we are ahead of expectation and because it's nice to talk about being in a title race, but I still I, I still believe that if you're not in a title race, it you got to get to 30 games and then it's a title race. You can't be in a title race in 10, 10 games a season or 20 games. I think it's a little bit too early to judge. Yeah. So... I feel that maybe a little bit of the, the leeway that I'm giving Ten Hog is the fact that we are higher than what I expected us to be. We're a lot more comfortable, we're a lot more settled, and we looked we look a lot more defined as as a Ten Hog team than what I expected us to be. This is probably six months ahead of schedule to what I expected. I expected to probably see us looking this kind of comfortable and and defined as a shape at the end of the season, and we're so far ahead of that that It makes me curious to see what he does, win, lose or draw on Sunday, because he's still learning. And we know plenty about these players, but Tenorg is giving them new challenges and I'm ready to be pleasantly surprised like I am at Luke short centre-off, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, Martinez was good enough on Wednesday that I think he's back in the team. So I'm pretty sure the back five will be the same. Uh, De Gea, Wampersaka, Ferran, martinez and sure and that's solid it's oh. solid it's just that one in front can we
0: can it's we a... can we rewind 25 minutes because we closed out palace and not once in that entire 25 minutes did we speak about wambasaka it... oh
1: god yeah that's very, very true. unfair yes you're right very unfair and he's a man reborn. And I mean, the thing is, he even got a few crosses in yeah. yesterday. So that's a, like, what's going on here? Wambazaka put it floating across to the back. Stick. Yeah. The the tackle on Wolf Sahar was obviously game-saving yeah. right at the end. Just Just stunning stuff. Just so perfect and clean and risking a penalty, risking a red card, risking everything and got it right. Yeah. Uh, I thought Zaha's interview afterwards was brilliant yeah. as well. He said, I, I had a look, quick look over my, I'm sure everyone's seen this, but quick look over my shoulder and, oh, no, it's, it's Aaron. <laughs> if it was anyone else, and you knew what was coming, Spider and those long mm-hmm. legs. I mean, brill- just brilliant stuff, as good as a goal. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. And, and I, I, I'm just here to apologise to Aaron. I'm sure he's listening, so sorry that we didn't mention it first time round." Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah And and look, good good for him. It would be interesting. So many players have improved under Ten Hag. Can he add that thing in the final third? Mm. Yeah. Not only the the delivery, progression of the ball, which he does pretty well with the ball at his feet, but progression through passing, which he doesn't do at all. And it's it's really, really bad. And it's one of the reasons United have been looking all over Europe for a new right back. But if he can add some of that, maybe maybe United don't need to go out and spend and he has a future at the club after mm. all. I'm not sure anyone could have predicted that two months ago. Absolutely
0: not, but fair play to him because what we need in this squad to sound like a 1980s pub league manager, we need character and he's shown that, so fair play.
1: Yeah, talking the pub league, Renato made his debut for Al <laughs> Nasser today against the Paris Saint-Germain. It really does look like a pub kit. I mean, yeah. You're absolutely right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just some some foolio paid £2.2 2 million to go watch that. Just, I don't know why. The BBC live blogged it. What? just seems very curious. Like, it just... Huh? <laughs> the, the hype the hype around players versus teams is off the scale. I'm, I'm sure some of that will die down i mean it was against messi's
0: perhaps my mm. Messi
1: scored in three minutes and that one What <laughs> yeah very very curious yeah i was looking at some of the 21st club data and they do relative rankings across leagues like take this with a pinch of salt but they they try and it's very hard to rank across leagues we kind of know in europe because there's a lot of transfers between players but how do you rank club versus club and they put them down at the, around about League One level. So there you go. He, he won in the Champions League. He's got League One. He's playing in a pub kit. Wow. Good stuff. Wow. I guess that's it. Good luck on Sunday, everyone. I'm sure the the traveling support will be in full voice. We need them. And maybe Ten Hag will surprise yeah,
0: us. Ten in.